Welcome to the John of All Trades Podcast, episode 251. I'm your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. And holy hell, the hits keep on coming. I am on an insane roll with this show, and I don't think I've ever loved it more, which is really, really helpful given the abundance of crap we are all dealing with all the time with this quarantine, with this virus, with frustrations at our government. I don't really care which side you're on. You can be frustrated at the government. Now, whether that's federal government, state government, your county's leadership, you're probably frustrated at someone. But in every cloud, there is a silver lining. And for me, my show has never been better. And I suspect it's a combination of factors. One, I'm not afraid to pitch anyone right now because... Very few people have very much going on. And those who do, I'd just like to say thank you. Thank you for the work that you do. Thank you for keeping society running. Thank you for putting yourself in harm's way. We heap a disproportionate amount of the burden of this country onto those who are not rich. I am fortunate enough to where I get to work from home. I am still financially secure. I got myself a PPP loan, and I still have some client work coming in. But the people who work at grocery stores, the people who work at restaurants, The people who work in hospitals, they're not so lucky. They're in harm's way, and I thank you for what you do. I promise to do my part to try and keep everyone safe and healthy and functioning. So I'm going to support businesses where I can. I'm going to follow the protocols set forth because it's not about me. It's about everyone else. That's a slight but necessary digression from what I was saying, which is I'm not afraid to pitch anyone right now because anyone I want to have on this show, I'm going to take a shot at it. You know, we're all stuck in our homes. Let's have a conversation. Let's put some good out in the world. Let's have some fun. And this week's show is a prime example of that. I've got Ben Roy. Ben Roy is an amazing comedian. He was one of the stars and creators of Those Who Can't, which ran on True TV for three seasons. He's also a member of the Growlix. The Growlix, if you live in Denver and you're into comedy at all, they're kind of the scene, man. I mean, I don't know how else to put it. They're kind of the scene. And Ben, along with his compatriots, Adam Caton Holland and Andrew Orvidal, just create great comedy. And I'll point you to two things. One, before we were all in quarantine, they would do a monthly live show at the Bug Theater. The Bug Theater, Denver Institution, I love it dearly. Pay some love to them wherever you can. Secondly, Grolic Saves the World. It's a terrific podcast. It's a ray of sunshine into a very challenging time. And you can tell that these three guys have deep affection for each other. And on this show, we spend a lot of time about what fortified that bond, what made them so close. Some of it was the challenge of writing a weekly TV show, which I've heard said before is an unbelievable grind and just grueling. So I asked Ben, point blank, he said that to me, and I go, why, what is it? And he describes it to me. He even had a nervous breakdown at the end of the second season. It's insane. And it's funny. I'd met Ben, like, just a couple of times, just, like, I I talk about this time I met him in the line at Lucha Libre and Laughs when he was headlining. I just said some kind words to him. But I told him at the beginning of this episode, the first time I saw you do comedy, it was terrifying. You're an absolute force of nature. And what's so funny is folks like that, you're kind of immediately off-put because Ben's very intense, right? He's got a very intense way about him. He's a total chatterbox, arms covered in tattoos. You get to meet him, he's like the sweetest guy in the world. And so this episode is long. The conversation is an hour and 13 minutes. 
I don't normally go that long, but Ben's like, hey, I could do this for two hours. And I did the old radio trick where I just kind of turned the mics on while we were talking. And we were talking about conspiracy theorists and the coronavirus and the misinformation that's out there. And not only misinformation, but disinformation. Information that's intentionally misleading. He certainly had a lot to say. I certainly have a lot to say. And so when you've got two legitimate windbags like this getting ready to tee off at each other, it's going to be a great episode. Because not only are we both very well read, not only are we both up on our shit, but we both love comedy, we both love punk rock, and at our core, we both very deeply care about people. So this is a delightful episode. Just a terrific chat, and I'm thrilled to be able to bring it to you. That comes up in just a minute, but before I go any further, just like to pay some love to my company, Deft Communications. During quarantine, a lot of my work has sort of eroded. It's sort of gone away. One of the conditions of accepting a PPP loan is demonstrating that you are going to be harmed by coronavirus. Well, my business is down by like 75%. It's insane. The things I am doing right now, though, I am producing podcasts remotely for some great organizations. So if you or someone you know needs a podcast produced, hit me up. The email is john at deftcom.us, and I'm going to spell that, J-O-N at D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S. I can help you concept your show. I can help you with pre-production. I can even run all the production for you. I do voiceover work. The whole package is right here, and I'm happy to do it for you because I've done it successfully now for five years. D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S. Now then, that quick plug out of the way, let's get to Ben Roy because this chat is loaded. I swear, like I said, it's an hour and 13 minutes, but it will fly by. He's an amazingly talented musician. He's a fantastic comic and just someone that I'm proud to feature here on episode 251 of the John of All Trades podcast with Ben Roy. His episode starts right now. Facebook's becoming more and more fascinating to me, but <laughs> yeah, uh, simultaneously more and more fascinating and exhausting. It is. And that's what it's being used to do is exhaust us. It's really interesting. Yeah. I'm not like one of these conspiracy, necessarily conspiracy theorists, but it's, it's amazing that once people have tainted the information stream of it, yeah, that it becomes exhausting. It's, it's crazy. Well, and, uh, and you end up in this quagmire of bullshit and pseudo pseudoscience and you go like, I'm, I'm too exhausted to even seek out like credible news sources at this point, just because there is so much noise. The volume of it is crushing me. That was what I was talking about to a friend about this morning. Um, we were debate, not debating, but we were just talking about, well, cause obviously I think it's been especially loud over the last couple of days because of the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, documentary that's being put out. But I was saying that like that truth fiction, none of that matters. All that matters is noise is making everything milky. So no one knows which way is up and which way is down. Yeah. And that's the point of sowing discord and disinformation is not to actually sell bad information. It's not to sell good information. It's to create confusion and division and it's working. It's almost beautiful and brilliant in an odd way. Like if you can step back and be completely ob objective, it's amazing. Like it really is the perfect attack. Like it, I, uh, I agree with you 100%. It's yeah. It, it's like throwing a flash grenade in a room yeah. and, and, and everyone's trying to blink their eyes to get where they are. And when you open your eyes, the room is different. Yeah. And you've clawed at each other right. and try to get over each other. And it's, uh, it, my uncle and my 
cousin are so like entrenched in it and they're feeding off it. And what I'm watching is what, what was interesting is I posted something on this. It's a Canadian comic. I posted something about my feelings about disinformation and then somebody below it that we both know, we know each other mutually. We know this other person. He's very like entrenched in this theory about Dr. Meskovitz and everything right. coming out. And he posted something to the extent of, it must be so nice to be asleep. Oh, and God. right below, right below mine. But what was truly fascinating. And I was like, well, let's see what the response is yeah. before where my post may have got 20 likes to it and there, his may have got two. It's now virtually even, oh, you know, gosh. it's like it's spreading and it's really interesting to me. Like, yeah, um, in, in a lot of ways, uh, I mean, interesting. Yes. In some ways, terrifying just because, you know, as we've articulated, no one can seem to figure out which, which way is up that I, I think there's opportunity there, but I think it's also dangerous. Yeah, what it does, too, is I was saying, I mean, I grew up listening to punk rock and mm -hmm. hardcore. The world has always been shit. It's always been against the proletariat in my mind that it's been the rights of working people have been stripped slowly. The benefits of your middle class have been slowly eroded away at the expense of big, big interest. And the thing is, is that when I look at like pandemic, because I watched the 20 minute clip just because I don't want to hate on something I haven't seen. Right. The thing is, is that there are legitimate schemes by big pharma. Like the, the, I don't trust big pharmaceutical companies. Like it's very easy to prey on that. Like I don't, they've done terrible things. I mean, look at the opioid epidemic as right. an example. So to say that we should just blindly trust the pharmaceutical industry, but she's a, an extremely troubled character. Like, she was discredited by her peers for something that didn't relate to vaccinations at all. Mm -hmm. She was already disgraced because of her research foibles that happened years and years prior to this thing. She doctored her own results to put oh, forth yeah. a confirmation bias. She's not a good scientist. And now she's being touted as one of the greatest of all time. And it's like Science Magazine doesn't retract very many. And Ben, what's funny to me is, so I have, this is obviously Ben Roy, comedian and lead singer of the band Spells. Uh, this, I, is, <laughs> this is not video recorded. So I you, didn't really know that we were starting, but <laughs> we were just going down a rabbit hole. Yeah, well, and I, I'd expect nothing less. So what's funny is, um, so I, I got a master's degree in communications from Colorado State, and it's easy to see through some of the logical fallacies. Like these things are getting pawned off uh, as fact and you go, well, no. And I mean, you talked about the doctor being discredited with her research. So in my institution, you could submit to journals and they would reject it because the research wasn't good enough. And that's writing a fucking rhetorical criticism of the wire or some shit. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so like, <laughs> This is, there's a peer review process for a reason because there are, you know, standards in the field in which you work. And so when your work is discredited by your peers, it's not out of any agenda. It's not out of any conspiracy. It's because your research is either falsified or just dog shit and wrong. Yeah. And so to that end, the people holding this up as this beacon of truth is just enormously dispiriting. 
Yeah, it is. Listen, I, I, I will fully submit that, like, I, I can't watch another pharmaceutical advertisement on TV oh, trying God, to sell no. me a pill or something that strengthens my fingernails because brittle fingernails are a pandemic. You know, like we've all witnessed, there is a need by pharmaceutical companies to push their products upon the population, whether or not they necessitate it or not, and to tell us and to sell us this idea that it is imperative we take those medications. So there's no reason to to tell me, like, so when people are like, you're not awake, no, it has nothing to do with that. Right. You need to give me somebody that is bulletproof if you're going to attack, and she is Swiss cheese. She is <laughs> full of holes. This, she's been, and it, this didn't come about because of her views on vaccination. Right. She was not silenced because of it. She was discredited long before that because of her faulty scientific practices or just her inability to work with her peers. Like her peers have said she was extremely combative. She was prone to confirmation bias, which is about as bad as you can get when you're a scientist. You can't fall in love with your own hypothesis. No. And so, like, I I think that's interesting. I would – the fact that you're a mass communication major, this generation is so interesting. Like – Yeah. Uh, that's one way of putting it, but it reminds me of <laughs> of what I've heard from comics in the age of Trump. It's like, man, this must be a gold mine for you guys. And you go, well, yeah, there's lots of material here. And there's lots of fodder and things to chew on, but I, as a person, I'm also just kind of uh, a little bit deflated by it, you know. Like yeah. it, it's high times professionally, I suppose, but more importantly, in the words of George Costanza, we're trying to have a society here. Yeah, I'm reading this book right now. I'm reading this book, by the way, which is terrific. It's called The Last Colonial Massacre. Okay, and um, it's basically about how Cold War politics shaped, like Latin American uh, politics and and our foreign policy towards Latin America. Obviously, we've overthrown countless dictators in Guatemala, notably, and in Bolivia and El Salvador. And yeah, you're talking about like Noriega, and you know. No, well, like most notably was in Guatemala. You know, in the 1960s when. Oh, they... okay, going back even further before Reagan. Yeah, uh, right. But basically, if you read it, their disinformation campaign was that we used on them was very similar. We sowed discord. We just didn't have the internet, so we dropped leaflets. We yeah. used um, pirated radio signals and things like that to start sowing discord amongst soldiers and amongst the population. And then you exact the coup. This is just a new advanced version of that, and it's terrifying. And the part that I was saying that's so interesting about it is that it preys on this part of human intellect where if you meet a person's conspiracy theory or this entrenched idea with logic or with arrogance and this sense of intellectualism, like, like elite intellectualism, it entrenches them further in that false idea. They become more tightly wound than yeah. they're correct. No, yeah, they'll, they'll dig in even further. And conspiracy theories are really insidious in that way because the more evidence you submit debunking the conspiracy that tends to just be grist for the mill and yeah. it's it's it, it almost becomes this like reverse proof that they've been right all along and that they that, that now they're being persecuted yeah and so i'm i'm i don't traffic in conspiracy theories because and i'm actually writing an essay about this it's going to go up later this week 
But one of the reasons is conspiracy theories always fall apart because of human ego. If you ask that many people to try and that many people in power to achieve a subversive goal or a hidden goal, someone is going to talk. Someone's going to fuck up. Yeah. And the the idea that you can keep a conspiracy theory hidden for very long is a joke to me because I like I've dealt with elected officials and people in high positions of business. Someone always fucking talks because someone needs credit. And so I go, the idea that, that you can do a worldwide pandemic as some, you know, for some sort of goal that is unseen, I, it just doesn't hold any water for me. You look at, for instance, the election of Trump and Cambridge Analytica, that's a, a perfect example. I mean, ultimately, Christopher Wiley, one of the co-creators of Cambridge Analytica, came out. You had the expose that they did in Europe on Channel 4 of Nix, the guy who was the the head of Cambridge Analytica, who owned the parent company that owned Cambridge Analytica. They basically a leak came out. So if you think the journalistic establishment would not have already come out with at least some part of this, the problem I have is that people who don't believe in this or people who view themselves as pragmatists who don't believe in a lot of the conspiracy theory or the disinformation circulating are also playing into the design of disinformation and propaganda mm-hmm. by dividing us even further. Right. My whole thing right now is that I believe people need to resist the urge to curate your Facebook. Stop kicking these people out of your Facebook feed. Stop blocking them because what you're doing is creating a more powerful Facebook like feedback loop. You're, you're, all you're doing is putting these people into echo chambers of their own ideas, and that becomes more and more fucking dangerous. Stop doing that. Resist the urge to call names. We have to stop because we're feeding into it as well. Because yeah. the product is not the information. The product is division. That's the end result that people want. They don't care about fact or fiction. Right. They care about division, and whether or not you and I know the truth doesn't matter if we're playing into the scheme of dividing us. Well, and that that's no way to run a railroad. Like, that's, that's no way to have uh, a society. And it's so funny you mentioned punk rock because I grew up in punk rock too. I still love it. It's, it's the thing that yeah. soothes my soul. And so for me to want to there's, – there's almost a straw man element here where I'm forced to defend the system. And that is counterintuitive to me because <laughs> – <laughs> That's the truth. It's the worst. It's awful. And so, like, I almost have to do it as an intellectual exercise because there are parts of the system that I fucking loathe. And I have a problem, like, with authority. I always have. That's why I worked for myself for the last five years. Yeah. And so, but I'm like, look, the alternative is too awful for words. And that that's going to be the end result of if we let this kind of thing continue and it just bums me the hell out. So. Yeah. Well, if you look at somebody like a Steve Bannon, Steve Bannon behind closed doors, I mean, even like virtually out in the open, it's it's been documented that Steve doesn't believe the disinformation he's spreading. He Yeah, it, he doesn't care. He doesn't what he wants is to recreate global politics. He wants the largely US foreign policy and US financial politics. He wants to be able to redesign that along with 
a lot of wealthy elites, but they know that the only way to do that is to basically cause disruption, to deconstruct it and then build it back up. You can't do it the way it is now. We're all too pacified. And so I get, I totally get that. I'm the same way. I, I find myself defending the media. The, one of the <laughs> first songs I wrote in the first band I was in was a song called Daisy Duke. And it was me attacking the media. Yeah. Like it was a song about how much I hated the media. I understand that mainstream media, especially for-profit media, is very destructive to society. But that's not the same as truly well-done investigative journalism. I'm, I'm somebody who was, uh, who's a victim of the Catholic Church and the sex scandal that happened with that. I'm currently dealing with that legally. Good Lord. Yeah. And so the spotlight articles, well, where would we be if the Boston Globe right. hadn't run the spot? Where would we be if, if, if somebody like Jacob Reese, uh, I don't even know if that's how you pronounce his last name, but the famous journalist and photojournalist hadn't taken pictures of slums in the Bowery in the 1890s. Where, where would we be without all of that? You know, so yeah. <laughs> you have to be able to sift and discern and, and people have become, I call, I, I don't call it that. I, I love the term micro learning. That's where mm. we're at right now. Everybody is micro learning. They're just absorbing small bits of information, but the truth is usually very complicated. Oh God. And <laughs> it's, um, so, so, so I've worked in issues of energy and utilities and power development and things like that. And the more, the deeper you get into those issues, the more complicated they get. And like, so, you know, there's contradictions within them. There's difficult truths that you have to sort of understand about all forms of energy. And I always say this, there's no such thing as perfect energy. Every single one of them has some sort of flaw with them. And there's a trade-off that you're going to get. And you tell that to people and they, they almost want to reject it out of hand. It's because our brains are not wired to handle this much complexity on every single issue at all times. Yeah. And so to try and understand any of these issues, a nice off ramp is a good conspiracy theory because that kind of solves everything. Yeah. And, and, and that gives your brain a lot of comfort and that makes you go, all right, well, thank God. Like it, those people are cocksuckers. This is awful. And now that's what I believe because it's easy and it's very satisfying. Yeah. The unseen hand will always, always be easier to high five. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah. I can do this literally for two hours. I love this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no. if you look like seriously, like most of the like all the books, like I just, oh Christ, like, we're doing Blair Witch here on Zoom. Like mind fuck <laughs> that book. So the, the book about Cambridge Analytica, and like this is a book on evolutionary psychology, and like I, I just I love this shit. I'm like uh, light reading before bed. I got. Um, <laughs> Well, I got the uh, the last colonial massacre, <laughs> the blood of Guatemala. Ooh, that'll help you sleep. And because a line in the sand, uh, a, a history of Mexican American relations along the border. I love that. Ha have you read Devil in the Grove? No, what's that? Okay, about? that uh, that one's about Thurgood Marshall. I have it upstairs, and it's Ooh. about um, oh God, like I so. One of my favorite places on earth is Powell's Bookstore in, uh, oh, in Portland. Started, yeah. And, uh, Massive. so I heard so they were good used books. Oh, totally. Yeah. 
And yeah. I, I heard they were having a hard time and they might close. And so I just ordered a shitload of books from them. And so I have a whole stack on my nightstand of just one of them. I, and I can count this as one that I've read was point your face at this by Dimitri Martin. Yeah. Turns out that's just drawings. So my wife's like, what? <laughs> I love that idea. That's hilarious. My wife's like, uh, what, you know, what book are you reading? I'm like, turns out it's just a picture book. Uh, well, how enjoyable was it? It was delightful. Um, because yeah, he, he, yeah. Has, he has such a weird mind and like, he's got so many different kinds of jokes. It's like, it's a book that kind of uses the entire Buffalo, right? Yeah. Uh, which I really, really enjoyed because his work is one, anytime I kind of like find him, I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot how much I enjoyed this style of comedy because it's so like just different feeling. Yeah. You know? And so like, that's the thing about, and, and I'm glad to see you're doing all this light reading with, uh, you know, issues of <laughs> cultural genocide and things like that. But <laughs> I've been, I, yeah, I've been reading that shit. Yeah. Anyway, keep what's, what, what's funny is, Comedians, I found, like, when they're not writing comedy or working on comedy, they're listening to true crime documentaries or, like, nature documentaries or, like, some of the most serious shit on earth. They're, you know, you're not watching reruns of Big Bang Theory or Mike and Molly or something. Because that shit's not funny. Well, <laughs> the, then there's that. I mean, it, it's almost like, uh, it's almost like having an elevated palate at that point, right? Because you're working yeah. so hard on your own craft that you go, well, I, you know, I, I could do this in my sleep and I, why would I want to spend my free time doing that? I also think that there's, um, the most fertile ground for comedy will always be misery. Oh, sure. It's always going to be unhappiness. Like their best jokes, at least for myself are, it's always the rawest and the darkest stuff. It's the, that's the stuff that people, you look at what's popular, the comics who are huge right now, a lot of them are people with a very caustic, sarcastic sense of humor of where the world is at right now. Or or are unafraid to kind of rip themselves open. Like, I remember watching, so I'm going to talk about one other comic and then I want to talk about you. Oh, no, uh, I love talking about comics. No, of course, but <clears throat> it was Patton Oswalt's most recent special. He's got another one coming up later this month, I think. But everyone's kind of waiting for him to talk about his dead wife, yeah. right? Everyone's like sitting there doing bated breath, and he does this really kind of tortured crowd work. And he goes, can you tell I'm just killing time here? And then yeah. he gets into it, and it's so cathartic and so satisfying and so fucking funny, too. And I'm like, the fact that he was able to take this tragic death of his wife and his daughter's mother and turn it into this comedic gold that, number one is hilarious but number two really like gives you something like a life raft for any trouble that you're going through personally as you watch it yeah i think I almost sometimes at least in my mind it's an unintended consequence that people relate to it because like if i'm being honest with myself part of the reason why i do it is just because it's like a puzzle how can i take something so dark and so raw and visceral and get people to laugh at it. Yeah. Is, what was it? Patton? I think it was Patton who said the truth is hack. Uh, <laughs> and, and like, it's because that it's, it's so funny, but what it, a great line it is. It's because it's truthfully like, that's what like all of us are doing. The, the biggest hack premise is I'm just being honest here, you know, like, <laughs> right. uh, 
I do it like sometimes I do it just because I want to see if I can, if I can mm-hmm. find a, a way to make people laugh. But also it does help us in the long run process things and to accept. I mean, that's, I think that maybe a, a nice benefit of stand up and of humor is that it helps us deal with tragedy. And, uh, but I, I wonder if people like Patton and other comics, like I know Adam Caden Holland is obviously mine. You know, my buddy Adam has mined a lot of his pain. I, I read his book, and that was that, that was both. I mean, it was hilarious. It was harrowing. It was like I I think I read it in one sitting. Honestly, it was my birthday, and I wasn't going to do any work that day, and I was just hung over his balls. And so I read the entire thing cover to cover, and I got and I emailed him. I'm like, I couldn't put this down. Yeah, so. he he really like um, you know. Obviously, we were around him a lot when he was working on that and writing it, and he resisted doing anything about that for a long time. Sure, because he just didn't want to. Because there is that part of us. It's why I've not written about my, you know, my, my, my stuff with, uh, sexual abuse and whatnot, because you have to be ready to tell the story and to touch it. You know, you yeah. Yeah. You're ready. not ready for it yet. Yeah. You get, you get to a point, And I think Adam went through that for years where he wasn't ready to feel as if he was profiting or marketing it because there is that immediate thing of like, am I making, if I, uh, yeah, am I being craven about this? Yeah. yeah. Like, am I, in an odd way, being opportunistic with my own pain, you know? Right. Um, so, so transitioning to you a little bit, and it was funny because I knew Adam a little bit. Adam was on, like, episode 50 of this show um, uh-huh. way back in the day. So that, God, what was that? That was, like, five years ago at this point. And it was right around that time... I think it was the year before you guys did the first High Plains Comedy Fest. Yeah, and that or was he did. I have nothing to do well, with that. <laughs> well, you you were there. You were performing. Oh yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I saw you at the Gothic, and this was my first kind of exposure to you. I found you terrifying, ah! <laughs> because, and I'm sure you'll remember this because the first sketch is Adam and Andrew doing like yoga, and you come in to Pantera, like yeah. <laughs> Like doing CrossFit and it was so intense and it was so fucking funny. I'm like, who is this guy? Ah, that's so funny. I was way into like, I still am. I way into like working out and they always made fun of me about it. (laughs) I I don't even really listen to Pantera. That's the funny part. No, well, I I happen to know that because that's my favorite Pantera song. Was it Walk? It was Walk. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Which is just a great song. Oh, vulgar display of power was a good, it's just that Phil Ansama's insufferable as a human being. Uh, he, ugh. No, he, just gross, just basement dwelling garbage human being. <laughs> and then you did your set and there was, I think it was your last joke, but it was about, you're like on a gurney, on your deathbed, you're ripping nurse's hair out and like, do you remember this joke? Oh yeah, it's, like, it's about CrossFit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, and so at the end, you, you like very subtly after this, whole scene this whole like terrifying swirling portrait of a man like fighting death you do like it was very quiet you go and that's why i do crossfit yeah <laughs> and, and it, it brought the fucking house down i go holy shit this guy's a force of nature and so oh, like i was man. i was hooked from there man and so that's why i'm, I'm thrilled like, to talk to you yeah oh man i appreciate that i uh those high planes are always the best they were so fun and I hope we can do them again, but I Ugh. appreciate that. I, yeah, comedy is, uh, it wasn't something I ever intended to do. <laughs> really? 
No, I mean, I didn't, I started, I've always played in bands. I mean, I still play in a band called Spells and that tour with Spells and music is my real passion. I, I think, I mean, I always joke with Adam and Andrew, but not joke, but I'm being serious that if I were offered, okay, you can only do comedy and the TV stuff or music, but you can't have them both, but you'll be successful at one or the other. Mm. I would choose music. I, I found myself, I didn't realize, so like this quarantine is making us all sort of, you know, what do we miss? Like, what do we actually miss? Yeah. And at one point I would like, I rarely get time to myself in the car. And so I had it. And I found myself turning the volume up and up and up on Strung Out and Rise Against and No Use for a Name and all these bands that I just love to the point where I played it so loud that I made my own ears hurt. Yeah. And I was, I was driving down the street and I, I was playing it so loud that I was, I think I was actively trying to ruin someone else's day like a pedestrian. <laughs> just be like, who is that guy? I realized I go, oh shit, I miss concerts. Like more than anything, I miss live shows. Yeah. I miss standing shoulder to shoulder in some dingy shithole club, just like chanting along with strangers and just singing my ass off in some punk show. I'm, I'm a firm believer in like, like an ebb and flow of, of good and, and bad fortune. You know, they just, they just come and go. And usually I'm like, if I'm on a super high and things are going really well, I'm like, something's going to fall out for a little while. And that was how it was prior to this COVID thing. Like, we went on tour with this band. I'm actually yeah spells sure yeah no this but oh. we toured with this band Dracula's which is members of Rise Against and Riverboat Gamblers oh yeah and we toured with them and we had this amazing run and it ended here in Denver at Streets of London with one of the best shows I've ever played in my entire life. It was the kind that you know the just the in the air everybody was in the the same place mentally yeah you just everybody wanted to be around each other there was no bad vibes people were climbing on each other spilling beers and spinning them it was i one in one out of streets of london you couldn't get <laughs> wow. in and then this we went from that as a band and i went from that of playing that show and we played the we had the grolics that night which sold out so i got to do a sold out grolics show that was crazy and stand up to then going to the show at, at Streets of London and then nothing for two months. Yeah. And man, do I miss just having my arms around people? Yeah. Climbing them. I, I, I fuel myself in a lot of ways to that. I'm kind of introverted, but I love that shit. Dude, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm with you. So we're roughly the same age. I was born 81. Uh, yeah. 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 So I'm only a couple of years old. Right. right. So. In the late, in the mid to late nineties was kind of like punk revival and third wave ska. And that's when I really got into music. That's when I first started going to shows and then I was hooked. And like, here's the thing. You're a young person. You're going to shows with all your friends. Everyone's kind of going along. It's kind of the thing to do, right? Well, Rancid has a song called Last One to Die. Uh And it's actually about the old guys at punk shows. And so my friend Jason, who I still go to shows with, like sent me that. He goes, this is like you and me. And I always used to make fun of the old guys in the back of the club. But now that I'm there, he's like, there's no place I'd rather be. Oh, man. We're going to be like the old grizzled tattooed guys. I love the <laughs> quote, a punk isn't dead, it's dad. Punk <laughs> is dead. And that's perfect. Because like, 
we played, we went around tour, like going on this tour, especially when we were in San Diego and so, like Southern California as a whole. Right. It was all older dudes. Yeah, it's all and punk fact, dads, right? Yeah, I mean, it was all old tattooed guys at this punk show. And in fact, when we got to Boise, Idaho, the show was insanely young. They were in their teens. Every kid there was like, and we were floored. Yeah. Like, we were like, the kids still listen to this? Because it really is like, for that. this was what we did and what we needed. I don't know that I would have been here had it not been for shows. Mm. Had it not been for rock and roll and for punk shows. Growing up in Maine, like, I grew up in a really, really little rural area of Maine. And that was what we did. We threw punk rock shows. And yeah. that was all I looked forward to. Right. It's, uh, I, I mean, I went, I've been to shows in people's basements, like, you know, like church rec rooms, you know, like crappy dive bars where you go, like where there's like scary, like old drunks outside and you're going, Oh God, like I'm just this little suburban high school kid. What am I even doing here? But then you look back on that, you go, yeah, that's pretty badass. Yeah. Like we were just Chuck, Chuck from spells, our guitarist and I were just doing an acoustic thing at streets one night and it was snowing outside and there was probably because it was acoustic there were only probably 30 or 40 people in the room total Mm -hmm. but there was something about the smell of when the door would open of cold air and people smoking cigarettes (laughs) and my shoes were wet like from being outside and the shoelaces are wet and like the bottom cup of your (laughs) jeans from like here down is and but you're standing on a cement floor and a kind of cold bar but you also know, like, without seeming overly romantic, you, there's nowhere else you'd want to be at that time either. Like, it's kind of soothing. That was all I wanted to do when I was a teenager. Yeah. I, I ne- totally, dude. I, I never did it. Like, I, I was never on stage. I don't have any real musical talent. But, like, I knew that's where I wanted to be. And so I remember... But see, that to me, that's the most beautiful part about it. And I don't mean to interrupt you. It's like, if a punk rock and a hardcore... To me, if you were in the crowd or you were on stage, your experience was just as visceral. Yeah, like, yeah. I, anyway, wait, finish what you're. Yeah, talking. no, no. I, I think uh, there's just a certain beauty in that, and when you find like a fellow traveler like that, because that's not for everyone. That like what you're describing, that sounds wildly unappealing. I think to a lot of people, but for folks like us, where this is just like this is what we do. And this is yeah. this is what we want to do. When you find other people like that, you go, okay, thank God I'm not crazy. And so, so here's my thing. Spells, if you've seen us, or I don't know if you have or not, but anybody out there who has knows we don't play on stages. We doesn't matter. We played the Gothic. We played on the floor. Yeah. We played the Summit Musical. We played on the floor. If we ever get a chance to play the Fillmore, we're gonna play on the floor of the Fillmore. Like. That won't happen, but if it ever did, if we ever got to open for a bigger band like that, we're going to ask to play on the floor. And we did it at all these big venues, and people think it's like, ah, we're like, oh, that's so, you guys are punk rock, huh? You don't play on the stage. No, it has nothing to do with that. They think the you're reason, putting on airs? Yeah, or like we're doing it to be not airs, but like like we're trying to be so punk. Or, it has nothing uh, to do yeah. with that. Like we reject being above crowd. It has nothing to do with that. The two reasons I love playing in the crowd, the lights are often pointed straight at your face and I can't see anybody and I don't yeah. like that. And two, the other reason is 
half the best experience of a show is on the floor. And if you're in a band and you're up on stage, you're like missing out on part of the fun, which is like, I don't drink, but I, if having a full beer poured in my eyes is relapsing, <laughs> yeah, I've you're... relapsed several times in the last 10 years. I love when somebody pinwheels a beer into my face and I'm like, ah, <laughs> Hell I don't yeah. want to, I don't want to miss out on that just because I'm in the band playing. I want to be in that. Like, yeah. Totally. I mean, that's why, like, in so many encores, you'll see people, like, up on stage. I saw the Bouncing Souls one time, and they were play they were closing with Mantham. And so everyone comes on stage, and I see, like, I love that they're still old punks. And I don't mean, like, old punks, but, like, aesthetically old punks, where, like, the giant mohawk and, like, the studded leather jacket, and these guys are still, like, kicking it old school. Um, and, like, young kids, too. I'm like, you're 17, and you have, like, no frame of reference for this. You weren't alive for, the, like, when this actually came about. But you're doing it anyway, which is just so beautiful. There's, like, punks with, like, leather and mohawks and just patches next to, like, some frat bro who's wearing, like, a popped collar and, you know, like, uh, a backwards, like, Oakley hat. And they're up there. They got their arms around each other, and they're just belting out the chorus to Mantham. And I go, "God damn, man! Like, what a fucking time to be alive!" Ah, that's the best. It's too. The music is too loud for them to agree with each other. I mean, disagree <laughs> yeah. with each other on anything. All they can agree on is this feels good. This feels right. And like, that's the part I miss. And and going back to what we were first talking about, this is why the quarantine to me, I feel is a necessary form of mitigation, but it's also one of the dangerous side effects. There will, there will always be side effects to anything. And it's the fact that we're left now to the most unhealthy form of communication, which is obviously this micro form of communication we use on social media. And we're left with that. That's, that's our only form of interaction. And it's, and it's becoming so divisive. Whereas at shows, that was what I loved about probably what I related to about punk was that like, or not probably, what I did is my memory and me being weird and me being depressed was no longer something that bummed everybody out. It was <laughs> like interesting. It was like something to be mine, to talk about it, like sing from that place, scream from that place. That was like, that gave me an outlet for it. And I can't imagine not having that you know like well it's funny because i got into ska before i got into punk oh we all have a checkered past i i still love it i don't give a shit <laughs> although i do like your wordplay that's good i, I haven't found it <laughs> <laughs> uh <laughs> and uh i remember like i was just so tired of the aesthetic of grunge just because it was so kind of dour and down and then ska comes out and like, I remember hearing it for the first time. I'm like, wow, this is like much more sort of the energy is what I, what I need. But then you listen to the lyrics of someone like Real Big Fish and they are dark as fucking roofing tar. Yeah. And, and it's masked by this sunny sort of aesthetic and you go, okay, there's a lot of work going on here. And then yeah. eventually you, you burn out a little bit on some of the ska stuff. I still love it. Like I interviewed, uh, both Less Than Jake and the Mad Caddies on this show. But when you get to punk, you go, okay, yep, this is exactly how I feel. Like this, this fucking bone rattling aesthetic with just this beauty and sadness and sort of pain underneath and it. Funny, like tongue in cheek, funny. Yeah. Like that was, I, we, when we were doing those who can't, 
not to name drop it or anything. No, no, what, it's, it's, it's part of your it. past. Like, let's, yeah. you, you don't need but to apologize for it. So, those who can't, there was an episode where it was a, it was called Scoffily Ever After, where Adam's character gets married oh, yeah. and, the, and the ska band, but the ska band is the Aquabats. They were yeah. on, and like talking to them on set, they were talking about like, I mean, you look at who's been in that band. It's kind of a who's who of punk rockers. Oh, yeah. Yeah, tra- and Travis Barker and Travis Barker played drums for a while, but I mean, there were there were people from the Vandals in it. Like yeah. they've had this revolving cast of amazing people from punk rock, but like they started that band because the scene just got so fucking serious, <laughs> and like they wanted to create something that was totally fun and just stupid and lighthearted and catchy, and they did that. That's how, like, Spells is. I mean, we're a ska, ba- a ska band in a lot of ways without the horns. <laughs> we wear co- we wear our matching outfits. We're dumb as fuck. I, I love the matching outfits, by the way. Like, I, <laughs> oh, thanks. I, I watched a video, like, so as I was just getting in, in the right Ben Roy frame of mind, I, like, the first video that comes up when you Google Spells band is uh, is you guys at, like, South by Southwest. Oh, yeah. Um, and, yeah, you're down on the floor. You're like, where does this drain go? And, uh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, this fucking aesthetic. Know, right? There was a lot of water coming out of that. Totally. Um, yeah. but like you, you have your turquoise shoes and you know, like your Argyle plaid. And I go, and like this, this hard, hard, like really crunchy punk rock sound comes out of you guys. But it, you know, you, you look like you should be sipping highballs at, you know, the golf course. Yeah. yeah we look like golf course. Like we look like attendants for like golf carts and, it, and like, <laughs> That was the point. And if you, there are so many of our songs though, especially like stuff that Chuck writes is very dark. Like our albums are real dark because that's just how I grew up and learned to process my own pain and um, confusion about things was through writing songs and lyrics. But we try to play it through an upbeat. There were so many, I remember we played one show where this guy came up after we had played and he had all of our records and a shirt. And he was like, you know, when you guys walked out on stage, his girlfriend was there. He was like, I nudged her. And I was like, I said to her, I was like, fuck, they're wearing matching outfits. <laughs> That's what he said. And then he was like, by the end, I bought all your albums. And uh, because if I saw us come up on stage, I'd be pissed. Yeah. But it's, it's disarming. And then when we play, it's like, ah, you know, like, yeah. I, I think there has to be a little bit of a disarming to it. I think. Uh, it helps people relate to it. But I will say, like, that was the beauty of it is that Spells could play or my old band, the Mendicants, like the first bands I was in, or I was in a lot of, like, really, I was in a lot of hardcore bands, too. But I was, I could play with anybody. I mean, even Spells, I don't care. We'll play with, we'll play with any type. We'll play with ska band. We play with that band, People Corrupting People. They're a ska band. We play with rock and roll bands. We play with new wave bands. I don't care. I just like music, and I just want to go to shows. I, do I miss too. that. I, I miss it so terribly. You guys, not that you're looking for advice here, but you guys should do a show with Younger Than Neil, which is this. I don't know who that is. That's a, that's that, a, and that means nothing because I'm out of touch with right. a lot of the music. <laughs> but they're uh, they're Denver ska band, and, I mean, they're like they're kids in their early 20s, and they they put together like this nine-piece ska band. Oh, sweet. Um. <laughs> And they fucking rip, dude. They'll melt your face. It's they're so good. I, I had we, them. My wife worked with the 
Andy Verdecchio who drums for for uh, Five Iron Frenzy. Yeah, and uh, I didn't know who they. I didn't know he did. I knew of Five Iron Frenzy when I lived back east. They were like a pretty big national yeah, yeah. band, and he would hang out. And he's such a dork. Like, <laughs> yeah. So Scott's like punk's dorky <laughs> little brother, little brother. Like, <laughs> we're always like, "Well, that's adorable." Like when we're all smoking cigarettes, they're like, they're like chewing bubble gum and like, you know, like. Standing in a circle, seeing who's out of tune. Like, <laughs> yeah, just happy go lucky. Yeah. It's hard not to like it. Yeah, if I, you hate Scott kids, you're kind of an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're you're kind of a, a joyless scold at this. Yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I mentioned the podcast. I think before we got on mic, and so Gralic saves the world. I I, I want to talk about just uh, a couple of things. First of all, I loved those who can't. I watched all three seasons. Uh, oh man. Well, I mean, it, it, there's Easter eggs if you live in Denver, which is an added benefit. Like, first of yeah. all, you guys are funny, but if you live in Denver, there's like a lot of shit in there that, yeah. that, that you're not going to get if you live elsewhere. So Adam's, Adam's character is love alone of, of Isle High athletes yeah. is always the, that everything is John Elway based and. Yeah. Oh, totally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's killer. Like, you, you don't, on any sitcom, if you ever hear the Colorado Rockies mentioned, uh, like I would die of shock, except for yours, right? Because like the Rockies are just I love the Rockies. I do too, but they're just such a non-entity, like in terms of the national consciousness. Yeah. But anyway, so it's funny when that ended. I was curious what you guys were going to do next, and it's almost like really soon you brought back the live show, and you started this podcast. I go, wow, these guys like can't seem to get enough of each other. And the thing that's remarkable to me, and I swear this is leading to a question is that you, Andrew, and Adam all strike me as being pretty different from each other. So what is it about the three of you that, that you cannot get away from each other? Or or, or you don't even want to? I think because it's the fact we're different than each other. You know, also, there's a lot of history. We've been through a lot together. That whole experience, well, like, I think first, what ultimately tied us together was a work ethic. Um, oh sure yeah when you find people who actually do the work that's remarkable and who didn't want to just settle on like like i'm not knocking anybody i'm not saying anybody else did but who didn't want to just be kings of a denver scene like we wanted to do something bigger outside of it and having a collective goal the three of us there are a lot of people like that in denver scene i'm not saying we're the only ones but i think we just happened to clump together because we were three people who had a work ethic and a want to like do something outside of that and uh, outside of just regional popularity, hopefully. Right. And then I think we complement each other in a lot of ways. Andrew is an extreme on one side on a lot, on a lot of ways in which he does things like Andrew is very much like a, a sprinkler of ideas. Like he just, I'd said one thirty in the morning, three a.m. doesn't matter. You'll get texts from Andrew with ideas. We should do this. We should do this. We should do this. And he's not also like oddly though not precious about if you say like I'm not into that or whatever. He's not one to like hold on to it and and fight till the death. Like he's not. He's just always coming up with ideas. And chances are your favorite ideas of those who can't. Very well were Andrew's ideas. The best, the episode that is 
our most popular was Andrew's idea. The Fairbell tape was by far. Jesus, the, where you, you referred to it as pansexual jazz. Yeah, it was <laughs> the fact Andrew's idea was that he has a sex tape, but it's filled with completely non-sexual imagery. It was a really weird idea, but the way he, he crafted it, that was all Andrew. So like, that's like his way of thinking. Adam is very, um, organized and meticulous. He's the dick in the group in a lot of ways. Like he's not afraid to say no to people. He's not afraid to be an asshole when, cause you need to be. The fact is that Andrew is very non-confrontational in a lot of ways. And I am a gas burner. Either I'm like, I like everybody. Like usually people are most put off by me because of my standup, but I'm probably the, they all joke. I'm the most magnanimous. Like I, I just yammer a lot and I talk to everybody. They hate it because we would get, we'd have black cars that would like pick us up when the show was going on and they just want to sit quietly. But I'm like sitting in the front seat <laughs> carrying on with the driver for like hours. They're like, God, shut up. <laughs> yeah. I literally do not shut up because I'm nervous and I just like people. Like I, I enjoy people. Well, and, dude, the, the last time I saw you was in the line outside Lucha Libre and Laughs when you were headlining. And so, like, you were talking to someone behind me, and so, like, you got done, and I just, I, I stopped you real quick. I'm like, hey, man, big fan of those who can't, looking forward to your set tonight, like, a few words, and you stood and talked to me for, like, five minutes. Yeah. Do you know how many times I've run into people who are like, dude, I love those who can't, shoemaker, and they talk to me, and then about five minutes in, I can see they're like, shit, I've been <laughs> off more than I could too. He's not going to leave, because I'm like, I, what do you do? What is, like, I, uh, I just, um, it's part nervousness. It's also part, like, I genuinely like people. Like, I think, uh, that was what, like we said, that's what brought me to punk rock yeah. was the community of it. I'm a huge fan of jujitsu. And part of the reason why I like jujitsu is jujitsu is super tight knit community. Yeah. Like, when you do jujitsu, you could go to any city. And if you walk into a jujitsu school and you train with them, instantly you're friends. Doesn't matter your political affiliation or anything. So like, I think, um, we complement each other in that I would be quick to, to say yes to a lot where Adam tends to stabilize that. But you also like after shows, if you notice, I'm talking to people after the Grolics, I'm standing in line. I like doing that. And your group, if you have a group, it needs that person you know so we kind of complement each other in the writer's room when we were writing the show it worked out very well uh adam is very meticulous he wrote as a journalist he went mm -hmm. to college for <clears throat> film he was very good in the writer's room like he's good at being disciplined if we got off track it was like no we have to do this and sticking to a schedule he's very disciplined like that andrew has a lot of ideas and i stare off out the window and <laughs> <laughs> there's also we went through a lot i mean adam's sister passing uh we've been public about that andrew went through a divorce during right. all of that my own things coming to light with like uh, what i'm going through right now with this I, like investigation and stuff we've been there with for each other throughout all of that and the stress of creating a television show uh, bonds you. Well, it'll, it'll either bond you or break you apart completely, right? Yeah, and I think it bonded us. I think 
being from Denver, like I'm from Maine, but I've lived in Denver for 20 something years now, 21 years. I think there's a sense that like, you don't necessarily need as much. And because we put a heavy emphasis on our friendship first, and we've always, always had a Grolix majority vote. If two thirds of the group votes for something, there's no arguing. And I will say we've never deviated from that. There's not been something where somebody goes, I'm not doing that mm. because I trust them and they trust me. And so I think that that's what worked so well. But I think also there's a certain amount of that first experience of like creating that show that was a little bit traumatic's the wrong word, but it was definitely more stress than I've ever, I've never experienced stress like that. I've never been through an experience like that. I've, I've heard people say that when they create a TV show. What is it about creating a TV show that lends itself to that level of stress that it makes it that much of a pressure cooker? Well, it's part of our perception of what it was. It's a lot more work than any of us uh, had ever expected. The filming process, the, you know, I just read an article that was talking about how, you know, the practices of Hollywood's film industry is, I mean, they push people to the limit. You're talking 14, 16 hour days, five, six days a week, plus all the post-production, you're writing in between the scenes and things like that. It's an exhaustive three months. Then you have the pressure of ratings have to stay up. You have network notes, which are grueling. Network calls are grueling. It's their job. I'm not in any way faulting them. You have to compromise on a lot of vision, and that's stressful on its own right. I remember the second day, I think it was the second day, Adam and I, we had started filming. Adam and I were sitting on the steps of our little, like, we didn't have trailers. We had these, like, it was one giant trailer with, like, these cubbies, your own little, like, yeah. kind of room. And Adam was sitting on the steps directly outside of mine. We're side by side. And he looked over at me and he was like, did we just make the biggest mistake of our lives? Oh, my because God. I was already exhausted after, like, two or three days. And Adam was like, this is hard. And then you just adjust to it. But there's also, I'm not used to like being flown around. This sounds weird. Like it sounds privileged. I didn't grow up like ever flying on a private jet. I never stayed at five, four or five star places. There's an awkwardness to it. I don't know what the decor, like how to behave yeah. in a lot of those situations. Adam was a little bit better off because he, I think he, he was more traveled than it like experienced, but Andrew didn't graduate high school. You know, like right. I, I, I didn't graduate high school. I played in bands. I lived in shitholes in Maine. <laughs> and like, so there was a lot of awkwardness and not knowing how to behave. And like, it's just being thrown into an environment that's, completely new and unique well and I, I mean you guys had the challenge of writing it starring in it and like i mean it's your show uh like yeah. from top to bottom you know that's different that, that that's different if you're just acting on something or just writing something i mean this this was your deal the whole enchilada is yours and so i, I can't imagine trying to wear that many hats especially on your first go-round you look at look at a show like it's always sunny in philadelphia you see Charlie Day and a lot of other things. You'll see, um, uh, what's her face? Um, from I, the May I know who um, you're talking about. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, you see most of the cast in other things, except Rob McKelleny or whatever his name is, the guy who created it. Yeah. He's never really in anything else. 
because it's always sunny is his show. Like running those who can't writing started in January because we had to write the show before we started filming because we asked in it. So right. you can't do it at the same time. Then comes May, pre-production starts, June film through September, and then end of September, mid-September, after we end filming, till November of post-production, you're left with one month. Yeah. Oh, where you're not- God, and then it starts all over again? And then you start all over again. And this is not like an eight-hour workday. These are full workdays. Like, you don't have a choice. If they tell you they don't like something – you rewrite it right then. We had to rewrite episodes on set. Oh, like, God. like if someone gets sick, who's pivotal in a scene, you don't stop filming. I got strep C or whatever, strep B, mm-hmm. one of the two. I had 103 temperature. They would not stop filming. Oh God. Basically a set medic followed me around for 13 hours a day for two or three days straight. After season two, I had a nervous breakdown because of stress from it. I ended up in the hospital till five in the morning having tests done because my heart did weird shit and they were doping me up with Ativan because I was so manic. Oh God. And I went and showed up on set at nine in the morning for my call and filmed. You don't not show up. You just show up. Wow. And everybody takes for granted six days until you don't have them. The flip side is, and not to, to address the privilege, we were paid handsomely. Like we, I got to experience and meet all kinds of cool people. The writing process alone is a surreal dream. We sat in a room for eight or nine hours a day when we were writing, and I laughed with my two best friends (laughs) and five other people we hired and got to joke for a living. Like (laughs) It was surreal. Like There were days where my stomach hurt from laughing because our whole job is just to come up with funny – scenarios and ideas and there were times where you were like this is surreal like i'm being paid to just tell jokes with you all to make believe don't get me wrong it wasn't all bad it was just good and it's intense and it's intense and it bonds you well what's funny is watching that show and seeing so many people i loved just because like you know it's your universe you guys get to dictate this and so i've always been drawn to the grolix because like you guys share a sensibility, like, or I share a sensibility with you. So to see, you know, like Kyle Kinane come on and mm. we, we mentioned Patton Oswald already. Yeah. Um, Rory. And, yeah. Rory is so funny. Um, I listened yeah. to his special on, uh, on Netflix. It was great. Yeah. Um, he's a fucking maniac. Yeah. <laughs> he's a loon. I mean, like, it would literally like writing for Rory just became. Well, he's not going to say this anyway, so like, like, let's just give him the general idea of what Quinn will say. He's going to say, he's going to say something not even close to that, and it's going to be, you know, like the people like that, like when Sarah Michelle Geller showed up on stage. Jesus set, God, that had to be surreal. I was a teenage boy who grew up loving her and loving her in Cruel Intentions. Like I thought she was so cute. Oh God, and showed up. I, it was like a like this teenage boy dream of like, there were so many moments. I remember one time and I, I just want to tell us it's ridiculous. We were in a casting session before we had started the show before Maria was cast as Abby. We were auditioning people to be Abby. And I remember we were auditioning many different actresses to do it. And at one point the casting director, were all sitting there. 
goes, uh, this next one is Danica McKellar. Oh my God. And I was Winnie like, Cooper? why do I know that name? And they go, Winnie Cooper. And Winnie Cooper walked in the fucking room. <laughs> and I was like, I got so awkward. I was, she left in between and stepped outside to like work on a line. Mm-hmm. And I was like, fucking Winnie Cooper. And they were all, they're all like, my other producers were like, yeah. Yeah, still out, you know? And I'm like, I loved her. I loved everything. I love Kevin. They should have stayed together. Yeah. There were so many points where it happened. So there were so many moments throughout the show like that where I lived before I moved to Colorado with my wife. We lived in a $400 was $390 a month for two bedrooms in an area that was really gross of yeah. Augusta, Maine. I was an alcoholic, like to, to like look back at the, that, that and be like, even 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I would have never thought that I was like, I remember Bobcat was like going on one time about Robin. He was talking about Robin and it took me a realize moment to realize like he's talking about Robin Williams. Yeah. And then he was talking about Kurt Cobain, like, cause he was friends with Kurt Cobain cause he, yeah, he used to him. open for him. Yeah. And I remember I'm, I was sitting there and I'm like, I'm sitting here talking to Bobcat Goldthwait, one of my favorite comic actors and comedians when I was growing up about Kurt Cobain and Robin Williams. And yeah, so they're, yeah, like Dude, moments. That's, I mean, that's mind blowing. And I remembered, yeah, Bobcat was, was your director, right? Yeah, I directed quite a few episodes. Yeah. And, uh, I listened to him, I want to say on either like Nerdist or WTF or something years ago. And he said, look, when they write my obituary, it's going to be a photo of me in a fucking police officer's uniform. I get that. <laughs> <laughs> and and I accept that. But here's the thing. That, like, people will remember you for that, and you can look at that as a curse. Or you can look at that as a gift, because at least they remember, and it opens doors for you to do the things you actually want to do. So he talked about, you know, World's Greatest Dad. And, you know, like these weird fucking dark comedy art house movies that he made. And like and dir- documentaries, you know, like Call Me Lucky, like totally, yeah. which I'm not as familiar with. But, you know, I've seen some of those, some of the other works. Uh, what's that one weird dog one? Like Man's Best Friend. Um, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. Talk about a fucked up movie. Somebody let him make that. Anyway, <laughs> I know. That's exactly my point. And so to get to be there with him and, uh, I remember even the, he used to have a show on FX that was called like Bobcat's Big Ass Show. And it was like this weird variety show that was strange, but I, like, I watched it every single night it was on. And a, there are very few people that are as genuine and as kind behind the scenes that you're shocked at how easy it is to get to know them and how selfless they are, like, yeah. given where they're at. And he's, He's one of those people. Absolutely. So you guys, so the show winds down. You you start up the podcast, which I love, by the way. It's one of the two shows that makes me laugh the hardest, and these tie together in this really interesting way. One is your guys' show. The other is All Fantasy Everything. Oh, yeah. And what's funny to me about All Fantasy Everything is Ian Carmel frequently, it's either Ian or Sean, says you are his favorite comic. Ian says that. Yeah, Ian says that. When Ian says something like that, like how how do you take it? Because I'm not always great with compliments, and sometimes it's hard. How how do you receive that? Because I mean, Ian's like head writer for Late Late Show. 
Um, he's got this podcast. He yeah. seems to be blowing up, but you're his favorite comic. I don't know, man. I've never, he's just like, I don't take it like this is how I take it. I just sit there and go, I don't, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I guess, yeah. um, it's very flattering and, uh, it means a lot because I think very highly of him. The time he, somebody said, you know, Ian just said that on a podcast and just, you know, I, there's a separation of yourself from who you are on stage. And like, I'm always thinking I pulled the wool over people's eyes somehow, like I'm a hacker, you know, like, so to have, like, I just am like that. And so it's, it's very flattering and I never know how to take it, but he's, he's just a very like genuine guy. When, he, when we had him do, um, cousin, uncle Jake, uh, you know, there's uncle Jake's pizza. Yeah. He played, he played uh, the cousin that runs uncle Jake's pizza during the rap episode. Right. Uh, that was after like TJ didn't come back. Right. Was that TJ didn't come back? Yeah. Right. And so Ian replaced him and it was the perfect. He's so fucking funny. And those guys <laughs> on all fantasy, everything are just, they're all lights out funny. I mean, David Bohr is one of the funniest people. <laughs> Ian Carmel is one of the funniest people on the planet. Sean is, I mean, they're all so funny. Yeah. So they, and their podcast is so lighthearted. Yeah. Like it's what people need. Totally. Yeah. It's like, it would be easy. Like I was thinking about the way they select episode topics. It would be easy to be like, you know, chores you never want to do again. Right. And, and you could get into this cesspool of negativity, but they choose things where they're excited about stuff. And in a weird way, in terms of comedy, it can be harder to talk about the things you love than the things that bother you. Oof. Yeah. You hit the nail on the head. <laughs> You ask me to write a joke about things I like, and that's like pulling fucking teeth. <laughs> because, because righteous indignation is super easy. Oh, like, totally. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I used to write recaps of Monday Night Raw on the internet. And that's actually how I got started blogging. And people loved it when I hated a show. Yeah. And like, because the material is greater and like it reads funny. But it got to the point where I'm like, I am exhausted by this show and like, I'm not enjoying this anymore. I know like this is great material, but watching it is such a fucking slog that like for them, that's like a breath of fresh air when they're talking about how much they love whatever, right? Like I think Sean yeah. Jordan referred to coffee as he's like, it's a great drink in the morning that'll get you going and it smells good. And that was like such a weird little like tagline for coffee. With you guys, I feel like it's the same thing because you can tell how much you like each other. Like you guys bust on Andrew and, you know, you threaten to write this terrible online dating profile for him or whatever. But like you have such genuine affection for it that, that you go, okay, this is like, I want to hang out with these guys. It's like, it feels like you're just in the room laughing along with you, which is a great feeling. It's exactly what it's like to hang out with us. I mean, most of the time it's, us picking on Andrew about something and then they, then I say something uncultured and dumb and <laughs> they pick on me for that or for being a rube. They're both, when we started coming up with the idea for a podcast, like that was the initial thought was like, we should at least try to make the world better or better ourselves. Yeah. Like we do, I, we pump plenty of sarcastic negativity through our own comedy into the world and into the air. We should at least try to make something that feels lighthearted. And it is what's funny to us is the idea of trying to competitively better yourself, which is, <laughs> which is just really fun to like 
to try to be better competitively. I think we wanted like where the world is at to try to like make something that felt like was positive, like trying to make something that felt a little more positive and a little more lighthearted. And uh, I hope we did that because I, it's just, everything's so heavy right now. Dude, I agree. I mean, that's why like my show has pivoted a little bit and I'm, I'm just talking to people who do things that I love. So like, you are part of this murderer's row of episodes that I have, you know, with like Spilly from the Rockies. Yeah. And, and like this wrestling writer named Scott Keith, who I love. And Drew McGarry was the episode that went up yesterday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that. Um, and like, I'm just reaching out to people. It's like, Hey, I really like your work. I got a good one coming next week after you. It's going to be another Denver comic. I, I don't want to spoil it here on this episode, but I'll, I'll tell okay. you, I'll tell you when we're done. It's like, let's bring some joy into the world because I think everyone, myself included, a lot of days, I'm having a hard time. Like, it's it's rough out there right now. And no matter what angle you're coming at this from, it's it's either lonely or it's taxing or there's just like angst and dread. And you go, you know what? Let's let's have a conversation that brings some light and some joy to the world. Yeah, I think uh, we're all being inundated with uh, constant reminders of the the direction we're going in and the yeah. negative things that are happening. And I think when podcasts have provided a, a kind of an interesting reprieve from all of that, like the amount of joy my wife gets out of murder programming is <laughs> it's, it's, it's at times disconcerting. Like I'm troubled by it. <laughs> Like she, if she's not listening to the newest episode of My Favorite Murder, my wife has now started listening to Cold Case episodes, the Cold Case Files show that's on normally on whatever HGN, but now, <laughs> oh, H- yeah, 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 it's the audio version of that. Like it's the same narrator, it's just audio versions of that, and she loves it. <laughs> like she, I think it relaxes her. <laughs> Well, that's, that's funny because like, I don't have a hard time going up. I have a hard time coming down. And I said to my wife, this was like a couple of years ago, but I go, you know, I think I'm kind of high strung. And she looked at me like, you're just now fucking realizing this. Yeah. And she's like, we've all kind of known that. And I go, like, she said that to me and I go, not sure how to respond to that. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's kind of, uh, it's, it's almost like a fallacy that we know ourselves well at all. But one oh, thing, yeah. one thing I do know about myself is that to get my brain to quiet down, one of the best ways to do that is to play music that is so loud and so cacophonous and so just noisy. Like punk rock is just noisy. I can listen to like the suicide machines on a plane and fall asleep. I don't know what it is about that, but it, it, it like calms me down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always think of our personality traits as that game where you, where you lick a playing card and slap <laughs> it to your face. And like you're walking around and then one day you're like, you know what? I think I'm a six of clubs. And everybody around you is like, yeah, it's been on your fucking forehead the whole time. And it's like, well, you're an ace of hearts. I am not an ace of hearts. You know what I mean? And then they're like, am I? Maybe yeah. I am. No, no I'm not. Hold on. Because you you don't know. You can't fucking see the thing. Like, <laughs> and then when you finally realize it, it's like, yeah, I've been staring at. There was a, there was a point during I got angry about something and I was melting down. I <laughs> during the second season, I I legitimately had a nervous breakdown. At one point, I said something to Adam where I was like, you know, people think I'm this fucking funny, easygoing, nice dude, and he goes, 
no one thinks you're nice. <laughs> like when it comes creatively, no one thinks you're nice. And I, and I was like, do they? And he, I was not angry. I stopped and I was like, they don't. And he's like, no, people think you're really combative when it comes to ideas. And, and I was like, oh, I never saw myself as, yeah. you know, like I, when it comes to creative shit, I guess I can be difficult sometimes. <laughs> Well, yeah, it's, I mean, I've, I've done a handful of creative endeavors and my role, like, so my writing partner is this guy, Jason. And like, I, I play a little bit more of the Adam role too, where the guy who, you know, at first seems like he's the most approachable is probably going to be the one most likely to be a dick to you. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the role that I feel like, cause I'm not afraid to tell people no, I'm not afraid to like fight hard for my ideas. Like if, if I believe they're the best ones, if, if we agree that someone else has the best idea, I don't give a shit. Like, I don't need credit. I don't need to, like, you know, like, swoop in and get it. But, yeah, I'll I'll be the dick of the group. I, I got no problem with that. Yeah, like, the funny part about all of those personality traits is that watching those who can't, people wanted Andrew to be so much like Fairbell in <laughs> real life. Like, this fucking dipshit, good-natured dipshit. Andrew is, I, they often say that, like, to play dumb characters, it takes a very smart person to play a dumb person. And I think there's a ton of truth to that because Andrew is extremely intelligent and he is not at all like that character. He is very passionate about perhaps the most passionate about like social causes of the three of us. He's very, very, very cautious offending anybody. He just is very like, he doesn't, he does not like that. He's also super introverted so people think because of his character he's the most approachable oh, when Andrew's sure. the most quiet out of everybody you know i'll yeah. i'll bet fairbell would have loved jerry Maguire, whereas andrew had nothing nice to say about it like as a perfect microcosm of that right hey listen listen jerry Maguire is a perfectly fine movie it's not good it's fine to just turn on and tune out to. I, I agree with you 100%. It's, it's perfect like weekend cable movie. Yeah, it's We're, fine. Like, yeah. if it's on, I'm not bummed about it. There's some good performances. Right, you're, you're putting a tray of tater tots into the oven. It's on in the background. You go, hey, all right. <laughs> it's just, it's like if somebody hands you a bag of Doritos and you have a, a handful of them, it's fine. You shouldn't eat the whole bag, but <laughs> right. a bunch. That, that's fine. It's fine. They're not the best chips in the world, but they, they're great. They're fine. They'll certainly know? do. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Um, <laughs> All right. Well, here's the part in the show where we do plugs. <clears throat> anything you want to plug, Ben? Oh yeah. And anything um, at all? Uh, do it now. Yeah. Check out the ba- our, my band at Spells Rules, or the band of Spells are. Our handle is at Spells Rules on Twitter and Instagram. We've been doing a, a quarantine video series. So if you follow us there, you'll see we've challenged fans and friends to make their own videos, music videos or songs. You can follow me on the Instagrams and the, and the twits at, at Benroy00. I will have a new album at some point when we're out of quarantine. Okay. Uh, so keep an eye out for that. Otherwise, you know, Grolic saves the world. Check out the podcast. Fantastic. I will link to all of that in the companion blog piece. Uh, that's johnofalltrades.us. Also in the show notes, if you're listening on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, iHeartRadio, or any of a billion other podcatchers, uh, be sure to like, 
subscribe, rate, and review. Do all those things. It moves us up. How do we know? We do don't. <laughs> subscribe, rate, and review to this podcast for real. Fantastic. Well, Ben Roy, this was an absolute joy. What a pleasure. Uh, and you know what? Adam's wrong. You are a nice guy. Yeah, well, fuck that guy. All that <laughs> shit I said, I don't like him. Yeah, well. It's contractual. Uh, it's the reason I'm with him. It's a contract. You know, I can't get out of it. It's ironclad. You know what? He was in the past. He was episode 50. This is episode 251. So fuck him. All right. <laughs> it's a new world. Continued success to you, Ben. Hey, thanks for having me, man. And that'll do it for episode 251 of the John of All Trades podcast. Big thanks to Ben Roy for coming on the show, talking about comedy, talking about music, talking about conspiracy theorists, and just having a great chat. What an amazing time. I cannot wait till we're all together because I want to go see live comedy, and I want to go see live music, and I want to see Ben Roy do both of those. So check out all the links on the companion blog piece or in the show notes, iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or a billion other podcasters. Let's pay some love to our sponsor, 4 Degrees, the number 4. D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. If you're doing something online and who isn't, hit up 4Degrees because they will help your website get built and optimized. They will get your messaging right and then they will get your message in front of the people who need to see it most on the platforms they are on. Digital strategy, online campaigns, social media marketing, online advertising, basically anything you can do on the web, they'll help you do it better. The number four, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. Follow me on social, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, and Instagram, all at the same handle, J-O-A-T pod. Episode previews drop on Facebook only. That's on Mondays. New episodes arrive on Wednesdays. So iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or any other podcatcher where you're getting your pods, hit that subscribe button. Brand new episodes will come directly to you. I alluded to this in the back half of this episode. We've got another Denver comic coming up next week. I cannot wait to bring that to you. So, hope you're staying safe, staying sane, staying healthy. And until I hear you again, say goodnight, Gracie. That's good, Johnny.